If imposter syndrome and self-doubt are holding you back from unlocking your ideal career, head over to FastTrackToFearless.com. Podcast listeners get a special 20% discount on all my courses and resources by using the code POD20 at checkout. Welcome to Fast Track to Fearless. I'm Tracy Forsyth, and I'm here to help you become 100% career confident. In each episode, we learn the secrets of inspirational people and fearless leaders as they share their journeys to success. If you're doing what you love, it works out. If you're doing what you love, you will do it well. Lorraine Hegacy is a feisty, fearless and fabulous business leader, a titan of the content industry and a motivational keynote speaker. But describing what she does is tough. I mean, I'm, I'm Lorraine. Being yourself in whatever role you're in is really important and being true to yourself and true to your values. In an attempt to condense all of Lorraine's incredible achievements into one sentence, here goes. She was the first female controller of BBC One, CEO of independent production company Talkback Thames, founder and executive chair of Boom Pictures, CEO of the Royal Foundation of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, and is currently an independent advisor for Channel 4, chair of the Grierson Trust, and much more besides. Lorraine has never been afraid to stick her head above the parapet, fearless even from a young age. I think I always had quite strong views and I wasn't afraid to voice them. You know, when I was, when I was at school, when I went to my secondary school, Girls used to have to wear ankle socks, grey or white ankle socks, all year round. And I used to get chapped legs and I thought it was ridiculous. So I got up a petition to say that we should be allowed to wear grey or white knee-length socks over flesh-coloured tights. <laughs> you know, this was when I was in my first year at senior school. One of the main issues we're trying to defeat on this show is imposter syndrome, something even a fearless leader like Lorraine has felt in her career. I have all the time, really. I think almost everybody does. And certainly in a way from not feeling like I fit in, because I didn't go to a public school and I didn't know anybody else who worked in journalism or TV. And I remember when I went to university, you know, I went and I did not know a soul. And all these people seemed to know each other. I'm like, how do they know each other? And they, oh, you know, this whole public school network. And then also, I know what I don't know. I mean, I, I always say to people, don't tell anybody what you don't know. There's lots of things you do know and emphasize the things you do know, but there's no need to let anybody. But of course, you yourself know what you don't know. And because I've always pushed myself out of my comfort zone, I know I don't know stuff. You know, I was often doing items for Newsnight on something I knew absolutely nothing about. And you've got to do a fast load of research and you've got to brief yourself. You know, the thing about being a journalist is you become a five minute expert on a whole range of subjects, but ask you to talk for more than five minutes on that and you can't. So, you know, there is that thing of, you know, learning enough to get by and I guess blagging it. And I think we all blag it. And some of us are better at blagging than others. And of course, by the time you get to my age, you do have a lot of experience behind the blag. So I suppose you slightly <laughs> blag less because you have, you know, you know more, you've done more, you've learned more. Those feelings that come with imposter syndrome may never completely fade, but Lorraine has found ways to deal with them and rationalise them so they don't hold her back. But it's taken time to build up that level of confidence and knowledge. 
I didn't ever see myself as becoming a BBC executive. I left the BBC, the BBC trained me and then I left and I worked outside the BBC for 10 years, largely as a freelance. And I slowly got sucked back into the BBC and ended up working as an executive producer in BBC Science. And when I was there, I went on a leadership development course. I went on it actually to have a rest because I had two small children and I just launched a show called Animal Hospital, which was a huge success and had been really quite a gruelling schedule. I was editor of a programme called QED, which was a documentary strand that used to go on BBC One, which was about, I don't know, 10 or 12 programmes a year. And I was also executive producing a landmark documentary series called The Human Body. Um, So, you know, I'd been working really hard. And when I was asked if I would like to go on a leadership development programme, and it was like three days in a hotel, I thought, fantastic, you know. But of course, it was incredibly hard work because you really had to think about yourself and think about yourself as a leader. And as part of that, we did the 360 feedback, 360 degree feedback, which is always, I always find it deeply scary. And I was allocated a coach to give me my analysis of the feedback. And this coach, um, who's actually now one of my best friends, looked at me and said, do you realize with this feedback, you could go to the top of the organization? And I just looked at her in utter disbelief. And I said, there is no way that is going to happen. You know, I'm not like the people who get on in this organization. I'm not tall. I'm not male. I didn't go to Oxbridge. I didn't go to public school. You know, I'm not any of those things. And she just looked at me and she said, you're right. You're not any of those things. But what makes you think they might not appreciate you for what you are? What makes you think they might not love you and want you for what you bring to the table because as you've said they've already got loads of those other people like you described so that was one thing that just planted a seed and it took a long time for that seed to germinate but nevertheless the seed had been planted and then the other thing was when I started to see people mostly men but not only men going for jobs and I knew I was as good as them if not better than And I'm thinking, he's going for that? He thinks he can go for that? Hang on a minute. And the truth is, nobody ever ticks all the boxes. Nobody's, you know, for those big jobs, nobody's ever the finished article. And that's why you have teams. You know, you have teams to supplement and augment the skills you don't have. And, you know, to bring nuance to um, the decisions that you make. So you don't have to know everything. You just have to know enough. There are many ways that imposter syndrome can materialise. Sometimes it's not the worry of being found out. Sometimes you act like the imposter. Lorraine says it often happens in high profile roles when you feel like you have to pretend to be something you're not. If you live like that for long enough, though, you can come a bit unstuck. These high profile roles, you know, senior executive roles, if you like, they are challenging enough as it is without having to be something or pretend to be something that you're not. And so I think you might have to moderate your style, definitely, but being essentially who I am and the person I am, and not, I guess, getting seduced by your own hype, or seduced by the flattery that can come with a 
title. I mean, I remember somebody very senior at the BBC saying to me that, you know, when he got this amazing role of director of television, he said, well, my jokes have never been so funny before. You know, suddenly everybody laughs at your jokes and everybody thinks that everything you say is amazing. Whereas the day before when you were Joe Blown, you know, nobody really gave, gave a damn. And I think I've always sort of remained quite grounded in my family, with my friends, and not kind of got into this seduction by of the power that I might wield at any given time. For some people, another drawback of that power is that it'll never feel like enough. Highly driven overachievers love a challenge, but they're so set on achieving the next big thing, they don't spend enough time living in the moment. Lorraine takes a different approach, which we could all learn from. Don't ever take a job because you think it's good for your career, because it may not be. You know, the person who said, if you go and work in Outer Mongolia for two years, we are then going to, you know, promote you and blah, 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 may not be there in two years' time. Or somebody else may have come along who's flavour of the month, who gets that job instead of you. So if you really want to go and work in Outer Mongolia, that's fantastic. Go and do it. But go and do it because you want to do it, not because you think it's going to get you up the next step on the ladder. I've often said I've gone for short-term satisfaction rather than long-term gain. And if you look back at the early part of my career, I really zigzagged. And each zig and zag probably took me slightly higher on a diagonal, but it wasn't a ladder. You know, it wasn't a vertical, upright thing. I went for jobs that I thought I would love and enjoy that felt like the right challenge at the right time. And I think there's that thing is you have to take your destiny into your own hands. You have to take your career into your own hands. And if you're not happy, do something about it. And it's only your responsibility to do that. You know, it's not the HR department. It's not the organization that you work for or anything else. It's all down to you. And and don't don't hold yourself back from that because people end up saying, oh, you know, I've got to pay the mortgage or I need my pension or, you know, I want the maternity leave or whatever it is. Everything else will fall into place if you do the job you love. And I've taken huge risks in my time financial as well as career and and it's kind of worked out because in the end I think there's a sort of if you're doing what you love it it works out if you're doing what you love you will do it well. I'm taking a quick break to tell you about the fasttracktofearless.com shop. We've got lots of inspirational merchandise on the website all available at 20% off by using the code POD20 at checkout. You'll find gorgeous mugs and notebooks featuring motivational reminders like, why you, why not? These original designs are perfect for the office, for working at home, a perfect motivational pick-me-up to keep you inspired. You can pick up a gift card for that busy business professional in your life who still hasn't reached their full potential. The e-gift cards can be used for any of the merch or they can be spent on one of my courses, Sell Yourself Fearlessly Without Feeling Like an Imposter and Fearless Feedback. Head over to fasttracktofearless.com for more information and use the code POD20 at checkout to grab that 20% discount. One of the most important aspects of career success is getting your voice heard. As a woman, that can often be more challenging than it should be. The boardroom can be an intimidating place at first, even for someone as confident as Lorraine. But if you play your cards right, it doesn't stay intimidating for long. I think particularly when you first start going to board meetings, it, well, or anything, any sort of step up is really quite difficult. And There seems to be a thing where women say something and people don't hear them. I don't quite understand how it happens. And then five minutes later, a man says something. They go, oh, yes, that's John said. And you're thinking, but I I said that. 
I got very good advice from my coach when I started going to John Burt was director general of the BBC when I first got a senior position and I went to his board meetings and they were deeply intimidating and he was a deeply scary person he was very rigorous very exact quite demanding and um, my coach gave me really good advice and she said when in doubt just smile and smile and say nothing which is quite hard for me because I always have to say something. So, you you know, I did that. <laughs> I did that thing of like, you know, you look like you're actively engaging, your face is responding, so you're not like half asleep. And then you start to realise that the thing that you thought of saying, somebody else says, so probably that thing that you thought of saying wasn't so stupid after all, you know, because it was a perfectly valid thing. So after a couple of meetings, you get a bit more comfortable and then you start voicing it. And then how you make yourself heard is, is tricky because... You don't want when you've already said something and then a man says it 10 minutes later and they all start nodding in agreement. You don't want to say, yeah, but I just said that because it sounds so petty. And a lot of it, I think, is, is about preparation and the way you say it, making sure that you say it in a succinct and quite punchy way. A lot of it is about engaging the eye contact of the chair of that meeting. And, you know, where you sit in a meeting is quite important. You know, if you're right at the far end of the table, it's really difficult all those little things mount up, I think, into helping you effectively get your voice heard. To add to Lorraine's point, I often say it's important to practice simply saying anything at all. If you're not used to chipping in or speaking up, you'll end up bullying yourself into perpetual silence. Don't let the fear grow out of control. Start small and work from there. The outside of the boardroom, what qualities should you be aiming for? I try to be a very positive force. Uh, I like to create a very positive, happy working culture and an enabling culture as well, where people feel that they can do their best work and very supportive. So I'm not one. I've never believed in the treat and mean, keep them keen philosophy of management. To me, I think you get the best out of people when they feel valued. Um, so I try to make people feel valued. I try to praise them when they do well. I learned a lot, I think, from being a mother and the great thing about being a mother is you always see the best in your children and you want them to do well. You know, you want them to be happy and you want to support them in every way you can. And I think bringing those sort of softer skills, if you like, into the workplace are very valuable. And I think I've certainly found I've mellowed as I've got older. I think when I was really young, I was so hard trying to prove myself, you know, particularly as, a, say, a producer on Panorama, which was quite a hostile environment in lots of ways, and particularly for a young woman to be in. You're so defensive and you're so, you know, on it that, you, that you're quite unforgiving of people. But I'm very forgiving of people now, maybe sometimes too forgiving, but I'd rather be that way than the other. And I think the, the thing is that a lot of about being a leader is about being, not doing. And we're all used to doing and you have to learn to be. And a lot of it is about setting an example. And everything you do or say as a leader has an impact. Every single thing. Even more so than ever now that everybody is on chat or on social media. So the repercussions of, of, of your actions will reverberate throughout the organization. The kind of person you value and the behavior that you value and reward will reverberate throughout the organization so those signals that you send are very very powerful and if you are valuing if you like the misbehaving toddler that will send a message that people who behave like that can get away with it and to me it's no excuse that just because you're a high performer you can get away with bad behavior i think you have to be a high performer and you have to behave well 
Now here's where it gets tricky, of course. As a manager, if you want to show that you don't value the misbehaving toddler, you have to engage in confrontation to stamp it out. That's where many of us fall down. Nobody likes having difficult conversations. So how does Lorraine deal with conflict? I've often felt very let down in the past where, you know, I've, a boss of mine has been supposed to be having a difficult conversation with somebody, maybe something I've raised, and then they haven't had the difficult conversation. So I know the pernicious effect it can have when things aren't dealt with. And my experience has been that the earlier you have those conversations, the better. So no bad situation ever gets better. It only gets worse. It only gets magnified. Your reaction to that situation only gets worse because you get more and more het up about it. So when you do eventually deal with it, your reaction might be disproportionate. So I think you have to nip things in the bud and deal with things early, unpleasant as that may be, or hard and difficult and challenging as it may be. And you have to be explicit because if you don't tell somebody, they don't know. And again, I think this thing of like, if you praise regularly, you earn the right to criticize. So the two to me go hand in hand. If you're not giving people regular feedback, then it will completely come out of the blue. You know, it's no use waiting for the annual appraisal. And then suddenly you, there's this tirade of everything they're doing wrong. You're like, hang on a minute, where did all this come? I had no idea you felt like that. And I remember I, w- I was editor of a, a program once in the independent sector. And we used to, we used to work, actually we used to work in a disused shop and it was open plan, quite a small office. And there was one person who used to arrive late to work every day, well after everybody else, usually been out the night before, would be drinking, you know, cans of of Coke and what have you to kind of ameliorate their hangover, would chat on the phone a lot to their friends, which of course everybody knew, was actually also very good at their job and would get the job done. But that behavior was very disruptive. And, you know, I was getting crosser and crosser and I was shooting glances to this person every time they entered the office, you know, like, won't they realise I'm upset, da-da, you know. After a few weeks, I tackled them and I kind of exploded. I was like, I, I can't believe it. You arrive late every day, you do this, da 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 you know. And they just looked at me and said, but why didn't you say? And I thought, yeah, why didn't I say? And after that, everything was fine. And, you know, telepathy doesn't work as a management tool. They don't know what you're thinking. They won't see those glances. You have to say it. You have to be explicit. Finally, what are Lorraine's golden rules for success? Don't hold yourself back. So I I, I often think the biggest thing holding you back is you yourself. And it's very easy to externalise it and say it's because of A, B, C or D. But there are all sorts of examples of people who've overcome huge obstacles and been really successful so you know it it has to come from within you so look look within you before you start blaming external circumstances and and don't hold yourself back don't self-censor I think you know be happy and have fun you know enjoy what you do normally you are good at what you enjoy doing you know that's the thing so you know that becomes a virtuous circle and when that happiness starts to dwindle or that enjoyment starts to dwindle for whatever reason move on you know don't don't be passive don't be a passenger in your own career don't drift on the tide make conscious positive decisions whether that's to stay or whether that's to go you know you might go through a process and you decide that actually you do want to stay in your job but you want to change certain things about it or you might decide that actually what you do need to do is to move. And that might mean moving organisation because your values don't fit in with that organisation. But whatever it is, make those conscious decisions. 
and don't be unhappy because life is too short. You know, the one thing we've learned this last year is stuff will happen. So all that time you spend at work, you might as well make it enjoyable. A massive thank you to Lorraine Hegesy for joining me on the podcast. So what can we take away? Don't tell people what you don't know. Instead, emphasise the things you do know. Nobody is ever the perfect fit for a job. Don't put off your application just because you're missing a few skills. If not you, then who? Take a job because it looks enjoyable, not solely because you think it would be good for your career. Don't let bad behaviour slide because someone's a high performer. The type of traits you value sets expectations and sends a powerful message to your team. Value the right traits. No bad situation ever gets better by ignoring it. You have to face it head on as soon as possible. Speak up and nip problems in the bud. Telepathy isn't a valid management style. If you praise your staff regularly, you earn the right to criticise constructively. Don't wait till the annual appraisal to dump a boatload of criticism on people. Offer feedback, good and bad, all year round. And finally, don't be a passenger in your own career journey. If you're not happy, do something about it. Thanks for listening to Fast Track to Fearless with me, Tracy Forsyth. Please review us on Apple Podcasts and like the show to find out who I'll be chatting to in the next episode. Until then, you can visit my website and find out more. That's fasttracktofearless.com. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.